Pour yourself. Let your words flow through these lips. And let your wisdom operate in this mind. And I pray you fill us all with a spirit of understanding for the times in which we live. We love you, O oh God. We appreciate you, O oh God. In the mighty matchless name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen, amen, amen. What we can expect in the days ahead. The second epistle of Timothy that Paul wrote to this young man was written, some believe, in about 60 A.D. or so. It's believed that it was toward the end of Nero's reign. We do know that Paul, in this letter, has told people he knows that his departure is at hand. That is to say, in chapter 4, verse 6, he realizes there's a good chance that he may die fairly soon. But Paul wrote this while he was somewhat incarcerated. And from chapter 1, we can see that he tells his young disciple in verse 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which you've heard of me. All of us need a model. All of us need a mentor. All of us need someone to teach us the truth. It's been the pattern of life since we entered this world. Every infant that is born into a loving home finds that there are guardians there to instill in him or her what is right and what is wrong. The scripture says to Timothy, hold on to those sound words. But yet the Bible is clear in verse number 15 of chapter one that many people had turned away from Paul. This man lost all of his friends. Sometimes serving God isn't an easy thing. Nevertheless, we tend to think everyone should love us, but everyone doesn't. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to be found likable by people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be people who despise you because of the fact you are a Christian. But in chapter two, he tells Timothy that he is to be a good soldier in verse 3. Endure hardness. Expect it to come. Know that it's coming. Realize that stressful times are going to come your way. But like a soldier in the midst of spiritual battle, don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this world. Now he continues with that line of thought. And he wants Timothy to understand in verse 19 that the foundation of God standeth sure. In every generation, there have been people that have pulled out the hammer and the spiritual mallet and have tried to chisel away at the rock of our salvation. They've done what they could to try to remove the, the foundation and its strength, pebble by pebble. They've tried to remove the thing that is the source of your conviction. And Paul makes it very plain that that foundation remained secure. Our nation was founded upon a belief in Jesus Christ. People today are opposed to that same Christ that formed the foundation of the founding fathers and the pilgrim mothers. 
But even though there have been some very difficult attacks upon the church, I can promise you the foundation of God stands secure. Long after millions of these attackers have been in hell, the word of God endureth forever. So the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy has his eyes on some part of the future and he wants to prepare Timothy for a world without Paul, but nevertheless not a world without God. He says to him, in the last days perilous times will come. Notice that the little phrase perilous times is in the plural. He's not signifying just one particular time of difficulty, but several difficult time frames for believers. You say, Pastor, how can you think in those terms? Well, let's, let's be honest. In the fourth century, the church was persecuted. By the time the 8th century came around and Islam had come to the fore, the church again in various places was persecuted. When you look at the church in Europe, back during the time frame when the Ottoman Empire was established in the 15th century, the church again was persecuted. When you consider the changes in Europe that occurred in the late 19th century, Moving up into the early 1920s and 30s, you can see that the church was persecuted. In different cultures around the world presently, the church of Jesus Christ is persecuted in an unprecedented way, even though in certain countries in the West it may not be so bad. But even though it may not be so bad today, there's no guarantee it won't be so bad tomorrow. Because of the changes in cultures and the development and changes in people's ideas and beliefs, what seems to be very safe for one group of people can in turn become perilous for another group of people. So Paul says to Timothy, you need to understand, sir, as you're pastoring that church there in Ephesus, that in the latter days, perilous times plural, are coming. Now he goes out of his way to outline for Timothy what all of this will look like in these different time frames. He says, consider that men will be lovers of their own selves. Now we know that that certainly means egocentric, somebody who is self-centered, but let's not forget that this is also the person who has such a great love for his or her own self-worth that they find their dignity in themselves in a world apart from God. At the center of their universe is their own dignity. And you can find that today. People will talk about the spark that's in man. They will tell you that everybody's good in some shape, form, or fashion, and you can be good without even having to have God. These are people that are lovers of themselves. And they love themselves so much that they promote themselves without God. They promote themselves apart from God. And Paul puts his finger on it and calls them lovers of the self-nature. That's exactly what it is. People whose lives are not 
slanted toward godliness or based upon the truths of the scripture. But notice out of that beast nature that we'll call self, it says there comes covetousness. A covetous person is someone that wants something that belongs to someone else. A covetous person is someone who desires things that are not in their own possession. One of the Ten Commandments, the last of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. And here you find that in that latter period of perilous times, there would be a covetous self-nature that would dominate people. Well, this is what happens in the culture. This is what happens in the government. And this is what happens in religion. People covet power. People covet money. People covet positions. And pretty soon they start going out of their way to go after these things. Now, Paul also said to him that people would boast. That means they're going to brag about themselves, brag about their abilities. In another location, Paul said that when he boasts, he makes his boast in God. Who do you boast about? Do you boast about the achievements of God in your life and the grace of God in your life? Or do you boast about science and technology and all of these geniuses and wizards who think they're smarter than God? Boasters. I told you many years ago, it was that very wealthy man. I forget his name just that fast. They said one day he's going to build him a house that even God desires. I can tell you right now. There's not a billionaire on this planet, Mr. Gates, not a billionaire on this planet that could ever build a house that God himself would desire. But from that beast nature, from that covetousness, from the boasting comes the pride that swells someone's spiritual life and natural life. And pretty soon in that pride, they begin to have the very affliction that God says he doesn't want us to be infirmed with. A proud person can't ever say I'm sorry, can't ever apologize, so filled with pride that they're never wrong, always right, regardless of what takes place. They could go days and months without holding a conversation with you because of their pride. Won't pick the phone up and call you, won't reconcile a relationship because pride comes in. Paul said all of this is going to be indicative of the perilous times that people are going to have to face and the kinds of people who are going to be in positions of power. Because I guarantee if there are perilous times for the believers, these qualities that he mentioned have to be exhibited by people in a position of power in order for it to be perilous. Because if someone is doing all of these things and they work for you, that doesn't really put you in jeopardy. But if they're in positions of political power, if they're in positions in the church, you'll find the problem will be manifested in a greater way. 200 years ago in Germany, the seminaries and universities over there began to publish books in which they said... We cannot really scientifically prove that there is a God. 
And they said that it's less likely that the creation story is true because science has developed other kinds of origins for all that you see. And they said, let's not ever think that the origins of Israel were entirely accurate. There's no way that someone like Moses could have led so many people out of one particular country without there being a literary record of it, aside from the fact that Exodus records it. They went on to say that many of the patriarchs probably never lived, that these stories were made up. They said it's, it's undoubtedly true when scholars say that the prophets like Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were only written after many of those events occurred. The idea of a virgin birth could never be correct. The idea that Jesus lived without sin, ever thought he was deity or died on the cross for anybody else's sins could not be true. It is unfounded theory. And they said there's no way anybody ever ascended back to a throne where they're going to one day judge people. And those kinds of books were published by the thousands in the 19th century. So many people were enamored with German thinking and German wisdom that pulpits across America walked away from the basic principles of Scripture that say, study to show yourself approved unto God. We no longer look for approval from God. We look for approval from the Ivy League schools from the universities with popular reputations. We moved away from the truth of the word of God so that all of the unbelief that was written in those books was then laid as seed in the hearts of thousands of preachers who then preached it to even more people so that that seed has come into harvest. And here we are now, 200 years later, looking at a nation that has turned its back on God. How in the world did we ever get here? It's because we moved away from the truth of the Bible. Well, if you remove faith from people, the only thing left to take the place of faith is fear. If you remove faith from the hearts of people, the only thing left is doubt, anxiety, and worry. Paul said in the last days there'd be blasphemers. Look at television shows, they say awful things about God and about his people. You listen to some of the, the kinds of statements made by journalists, they say awful things about people that believe in the scripture. And I honestly think that in the days in which we're living right now, that some of us in here, some of you sitting in cars, you watch, you can see all of the, the division that's taking place over what somebody believes about God, and we're going to have a period of time where you will have people who work for the city or the county or the state or for the federal uh, department, if they know you attend a church where they believe the Bible in a conservative, fundamentalist way, you could very well lose that job. Because there are people already right now 
that are being persecuted just because they have some kind of an alliance with a political person that other people don't think they should have an alliance with. We're going to cancel you. We're going to call you out. We're going to embarrass you. We're going to march on your church. But folks, I'm telling you, a thousand years from now, when these folks are in hell, the Bible is still going to be the word of God. Never going to change. The word of the Lord persists. The word of the Lord endures. What kind of a Christian are you going to be during these perilous times? Paul said there'd be folks that are disobedient to parents. I don't doubt that in the last six months with all the protests that people have seen, that there have been many mothers and fathers that didn't raise their children to act the way they were acting in the streets and told them to stay home. And they probably went on out there in the streets anyhow. You can see it in the school system. You can see it amongst a multitude of people on the college campuses. Disobedience is something that is essential to the character of some people that are being raised today. And you find it in the church, not just disobedience to the parents, but disobedience to God because they're disobedient to parents. And this unthankful and ungrateful generation of people are the ones that Paul says are going to be signs of a perilous, a perilous time in which the world is living. He says there will be folks that are unholy. Of course, all of this separates somebody from God. But the Bible says that we should love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for the things that are in the world are the lust of the eyes, the flesh, and the lust of the devil and everything else. We messed up many, many years ago when we stopped treating the world like it was an enemy and began to treat it like a misunderstood friend. We want to reason with the world. We want to understand why do they believe the way that they believe? I don't understand why the culture is shifting as it is. What can we do to make adjustments and adaptations in order to get along with the world? That world is an enemy of God. And it's opposed to the truth of Scripture. It's opposed to everything that you stand for. You're never going to get oil and water to mix. Light and darkness are never going to come together. Reason with that carnal mind as much as you want. It'll never subject itself to submitting to the word of God. It cannot. And this is why Paul said people will be without natural affection. Have you ever seen such a thing. In the days of the judges, I think the very last verse of the book of Judges said, in those days, there was no king. The people of Israel did what was right in their own eyes. This is exactly what we see today. The culture says there's nothing wrong. Don't judge me. Don't be judgmental. They don't want you to use certain adjectives in describing people, people who've lost a natural affection, where in the past you could talk about gay-related immune deficiency syndrome. Grids is what it originally was called. Then they changed it to AIDS, the acquired immune deficiency syndrome. 
Then pretty soon, if someone had AIDS, you couldn't even let a, a, a neighbor or anybody know about their condition. They could go out and sleep with as many people as they want, infect as many people as they want, but they would never get in any problems at all. The stigma has been removed. No one feels bad about it in that secular world and in that secular culture because they've lost natural affections and they approve of it and they endorse it. And our culture today says, don't be judgmental. Well, here's what the Bible says. He that is spiritual judges all things. Here's what the Bible says. Judge not lest you be judged. For with whatever judgment you yourself apply, it will be applied to you. That is to say, you are permitted to judge so long as you allow the same standard to be applied to your life. Jesus said, I judge with a righteous judgment. The culture says, don't judge at all. It's interesting, though. You can't use words that people think seem to be derogatory. If you call someone unattractive in social media or to their face or in a classroom, it's a form of bullying. But yet one program after another calls women female dogs and sometimes they call themselves that on different programs and on, on radio and nobody seems to find that to be derogatory. Foul language has multiplied in the public forum to the point that now even films that are supposed to be PG need to be rated PG-13 or rated R because of the language. I'm telling you, folks, people are without natural affection. It was a time when parents, even if they used language that was crude or rude, wouldn't use it in front of their children. But now they have children's programs that teach the kids how to cuss rather than the parents having to instruct them how to do it. Paul said perilous times in that non-judgmental culture has been so influential that those people who also consider themselves Christians and lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ then brings those same attitudes into the church house and in the body of Christ, they say, don't put your finger on anything that's a sin. Don't say anything is wrong. And this is why so many of our mainline denominations have become apostate and in the nostrils of God have become something of a bad odor to the king simply because we've got everything in that pulpit from gay people to transgender folks to folks living in adultery. And we got a group of people that say we ought not judge what's taking place. Well, the Bible says if judgment begins anywhere, it ought to begin in the household of God. If we won't police ourselves, how then can we expect others to know the difference between right and wrong without natural affection? I'm glad that when God made creation, he made us male and female. He didn't make us any other way. This is the way he planned it. This is creation by design. This is what Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew. Have you not read what he did in the beginning, making them male and female? 
He said, Pastor, you don't understand. I mean, the laws have changed. Everything has gone in a totally different direction. We're going to have to just go along and get along. Look, I understand on that job of yours, you've got to be professional. And you have to live amongst people whose lifestyles are repulsive to you. I understand that. I'm in the public sphere all the time, shaking hands with people on their jobs, meeting people who live a life that I know requires repentance. We are to show love to everyone and we are to walk in love with all people. But make no mistake about it. There's no way on this earth God is ever going to approve of something he's consistently condemned throughout Scripture. And it doesn't matter how many laws they change or how many people they get to promote it. The culture may try to shift and remove stigmas from sin. But I'm telling you, pedophilia is still a sin today. And even though the psychiatrists try to tell us that people can't help themselves. And they're born with certain proclivities. My response is usually, what about the man or woman who's born with the inclination to steal? They come past your house. They see that beautiful 10-speed bike out there. And they say, oh, my. And then they take it. And they go to court because you have taken them to small claims court. And they say, look, I couldn't help myself. It was out there on the front lawn and I got sticky fingers and I just, I've been doing this since I was a kid. I was born this way. Well, the law makes it very plain. It doesn't matter how you were born. You are supposed to restrict your behavior to certain aspects of the law so that you live in conformity to the natural law. Where the spiritual law is the same way. If you claim you're born this way, I'm telling you the answer is you need to be born again. Man or woman come to know Jesus Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. So here we are in the last days dealing with perilous times, and the church is going to be under siege. The people that want to come into power, I don't care what you think you might know about them, I'm telling you, Black Lives Matter is a communist and Marxist organization totally opposed to God, and years ago I read where they said, anything that's traditional, we want to turn upside down. That means that anything that you believe about the Bible, they want to turn it up on its head so that nobody will be able to remember two generations from now what you originally believed. This is why the scripture says there'll be people in the last days who'll be truce breakers. That is to say they won't even want to make peace. They won't be interested in peace. They're interested in strife. Discord. Look at the false accusations and the lies that take place all the time on the television with regard to the church. I know there are millions of people that watch that show, The View, over and over again, but I'm telling you, those folks are liars. They don't know God, have no relationship to God at all. News reporters on television don't know God. I used to every now and then watch Mr. Bill O'Reilly when he was on Fox News. He'd get on there and describe Jesus as if he was a good philosopher, an ethical man, never one time said he was God. Even wrote a book describing Jesus, wouldn't admit his divinity. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what side they're on today. 
They call themselves people of the right. They call themselves people of the left. If they don't know the God who saves, they're lost. False accusers. They slandered Jesus. He went to Calvary because his own people, the leaders of his own people, lied at his trial. Man was crucified. Somebody that's incontinent mentioned in verse three, that's someone who who has unrestrained appetites. They never get enough. There's never enough. It could be everything from gluttony to problems with sexuality. It could relate to somebody who has a desire to be greedy for money, incontinent. No ability, no desire to restrain bad behavioral habits. Despisers of those that are good. I'd like to ask the question then, what is good? They came to Jesus one time and said, good master. Then they followed it up with a question and he said, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. If you're calling me good, you're calling me God. When Paul says to Timothy that in the last days there will be despisers of those that are good, he's saying there will be despisers of those things and people that are godly. Anything connected with God. I mean, it's amazing, folks. I have to scratch my head sometimes as the weeks pass with the different things that I hear on that television in the news, just like you. I sat with a lady here not too long ago. She's of the Roman Catholic faith. She knows I'm Protestant, but she was telling me how she was praying a few or a few uh, extra rosaries and saying a few extra mass masses for the pope. I said, well, what? What's that all about? She said, because the, the Pope is now blessed same civil unions. I said, well, if he, he's blessed same civil unions, do you really believe he's a Pope? She said, well, I mean, he's over the church. I said, ma'am, you, you may need another church. You may need another church. I think that presently we are continually watching the unfolding of the biblical principle that says they will call things good that are evil and they will call evil the things that are good. Despisers, haters, disdainers of those things that are connected with God. You know, I wonder with everything taking place in our nation I wonder, is the church really prepared for what's coming? I wonder that. Uh, The the church needs to be strong. In other parts of the world, the church has already been prepared for persecution because they've been passing through it for a long time. But this soft underbelly thing we call a church today, I'm not even sure is prepared for the persecution that very well is on its way and in many parts of America, is here. What are you going to do when they say to you, if you still believe in that old hidebound book called the Bible, and you want to serve in this particular occupation, and you're going to have to turn your back on that book, what are you going to do when they say you can't have this job? Yeah. 
We're approaching a very difficult time presently because of that. The church has found that it's no longer welcome at the table. Now, historically, when you look at the history of this nation, preachers had a pretty solid voice in politics. And preachers had a pretty strong voice as chaplains in different locations. I'm going to tell you what I know for a fact right now that chaplains up on Capitol Hill, they're not up there praying in the name of Jesus. And the Bible studies, they get to hold privately with senators and congressmen and ministering to their families. They can't preach the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ as the only Savior. Yes, there was a time when People had all kinds of meetings in the big cities that they'd invite a preacher to bless this or that. Or they had a football game. It started off with a prayer or something like that. And there was an honored place at the table for Christianity. But it's not just now that that there's no longer a seat. There's somebody else sitting in that spot. And the Christians don't have an opportunity very often to open up their mouth and proclaim the word of God. What are we going to do in these last days? Are we going to be silent? Are we going to be vocal? I've told you before, when people ask you your personal opinion, let them know, look, here is what the public policy says here on this job. But you're asking me my personal opinion. Here it is. Here it is. The devil is smart in putting his people in positions of power and positions of influence in order to induce fear in God's people. Folks, people are afraid to go anywhere today. They're afraid to step into a store. Some people are afraid to step out of their house thinking they're going to inhale the virus. Absolutely terrified. And yet we have people that die from crashes with drunk drivers every day. People still drive. People in the thousands dying with cancer every month. People still living. You have people every day contracting this, contracting that. You say, well, Pastor, you, 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 don't, you don't understand. You've got to remember, we've got to take seriously all these things that are taking place. Look, we do our best to try to take things seriously. Why do you think you're out there right now? However, I do know this. At some point, you're going to have to live. At some point, you're going to have to live. One day you're going to have to wake up and realize I've gone 18 months without hugging a grandchild going to wake up and be 90 and realize I've spent my last year and haven't even been able to embrace or hug one of my children and they're running around visiting everybody. So the scripture is clear. You're going to have those that despise those that are good. You hear it every day. I just don't understand why they don't act like us. Why, they just won't conform to what we want them to do. If they conform to what we tell them to do, then, then everything would just work out. We could have long ago been through this if everybody would just be obedient. Be obedient to who? Do we obey God? They told the disciples, we don't want you to preach in Jesus' name. Stop. 
stop it. You're filling this city with the knowledge of his death and you're bringing guilt upon all of us. And they said, we cannot but declare what we have seen and heard. And it is better to obey God than men. Paul said to Timothy, there's going to be some traitors. Let me reiterate down in one of the other cities and in multitudes of cities across this nation, citizens are turning in citizens. The governor out there on the West Coast has told the people Thanksgiving and Christmas essentially is canceled. You can't have more than 10 people in your home. And even if they're your family, you've got to have a, a contact tracking list of all the places they've been and where they've gone. Have you lost your mind? How in the world do you think you ever going to tell me who I can have in my house? The traitors, very good friends of mine, young couple in their early 20s. A few months ago, they were married. I kept receiving all the invitations to attend. I wanted to attend their wedding ceremony, but knew that it was impossible to travel. I'd received the invitation. Then six weeks later, cancellation. Had to change the date. Then I'd receive another one. Then a few weeks later, another cancellation. Finally, I made a phone call out there to ask, what's going on? that you folks won't get married. They said, well, we had decided since we couldn't have any kind of public wedding in any kind of community center that we just have it at our home in our backyard. We live on an acreage, big 10 acre acreage, and we were going to have it all outside. But because we were going to have about 65 people, one of the neighbors saw the, the uh, announcement on Facebook and said, they'll turn us into the police. And the police had already said they'd fine you $500 per head if you had people at your home. I, I don't know what you think about this, but I'm just telling you, this doesn't sound like the United States of America. But it does sound like perilous times. Paul said, heady and high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Here's the hypocrisy of it all. One governor would tell you, you can't gather with anybody. Then he'll get caught in a group of 30 or more people. One politician will tell you that you're supposed to be masked everywhere you go. But yet when she shows up at her place to get her hair done, she doesn't have a mask on. Lovers of pleasures. But when people love pleasure more than they love God, then it's only quite natural that there will be a hatred of those things connected with God. A lover of God is going to be happy with God's creation and with God's people. But lovers of pleasure. What's surprising is that so many of these individuals go to church and attend worship somewhere. And that's why Paul says in verse 5, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. What's a form of godliness? A cast, a mold, shape, an outline, a sketch. There's a presentation of holy living, but, but they deny the very power of that God to change a life, to conform it to Scripture. What do you call it when 
Someone says to you, my religion is what I believe personally, but it's not what I believe publicly. I've had plenty of people say that to me. Pastor, I know what, what, what you preach and what you believe, but, you know, we, we can't impose that on, on the people across the nation. And then my response is, well, the people who don't believe what I believe don't have any problem imposing their beliefs upon the nation and the families. When I first came to this town many, many years ago and I was talking with one of the pastors, I just happened to ask a question. Why? Why do you homeschool? That pastor looked at me and said, our daughter was going to the public school, but came home with a book one time that described the family as having two mamas and two daddies. And we decided at that point we need to go ahead and homeschool. We're not supposed to impose our culture and customs upon them, but they impose their culture and customs upon us. And the scripture says there's a form of godliness. I had another friend of mine. I said, why? Why do you homeschool? He said, because one day our family was going on vacation over in the eastern uh, part of Nebraska. And he said, I went to the school to check my son out of school to prepare him for the trip. And the principal and the staff told me I couldn't check him out. I said, why can't I check him out? We're going on vacation. It's my kid. Said, it doesn't matter. There are rules about how many days he can miss. And when he steps on this ground, he's on government property. You are not permitted to go to the classroom. That dad went right to the classroom, pulled his boy out, and neither of his kids ever darkened the door of a school again. Now, folks, listen, I'm not somebody who says we ought to abandon the public school system. We ought to be a light in the colleges, universities. I've got a lot of people in these different churches that are school teachers in the public school system. I'm just simply telling you Somebody's got to live a life and live the life of Jesus Christ in front of people because the culture of this world has intimidated folks. One of my teachers gave me a magazine from the teachers union and I was reading through it and I'll start bringing my remarks to a close. But I was reading through it and they were talking about people who weren't citizens. And, and, and talking about the, the monies and everything that should be available to them. And then I started thinking about our own citizens who don't even have access to the same government benefits that non-citizens have access to. But yet people will get up in the church and they say, if you don't love people in the manner in which we tell you to love people, that you're not truly a Christian. A mayor or something, whatever the man was out there in Indiana that tried to run for president and was it didn't work out, but he would get up each night and talk about he's the man that he is because of his husband. And yet I see him on the interview and he had the audacity to try to say that he's a Christian and other people who don't believe like him don't have the right to be called a Christian. Folks, I'm telling you, there's a form of godliness that is rampant in this world today that denies the power to change a life. I don't think there's anything amazing about any kind of grace that doesn't change how you live. 
Nothing amazing about it. They say, don't judge. But the Bible says, from some such, turn away. What is Paul saying? He said, Timothy, make a judgment call. Run in the opposite direction. Go in another direction. Our churches are losing that holy, discriminating spirit that is necessary to separate us from the world. The Lord said, come out from among them, saith God, be ye separate, and I will be a father to you, and you will be a child to me. I preached a conference many years ago. One of the preachers ministering had a church, about 20,000 people. He was telling one story after another about whatever kind of a nice car they had gotten him. I don't know if it was a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari or whatever it was. But he's going on and on bragging about the types of people in his church, actors, actresses. So, of course, afterwards, they have pastors get together at a meal and, you know, you have an opportunity to engage people from from time to time. And since I was there at the at the uh, invitation of a mutual friend of Dr. Sutton's and, and I, I, I just happened to ask this preacher, I just said, what, what do you preach, you know, about, you know, sin and uh, stuff like that with all the diversity you've got out there where you are ministering? He just said, oh, I don't really touch that, that kind of a thing. You, you're liable to offend people if you deal with that. Now, when he said that to me, he believed He was speaking wisdom to me about how to reach different people. But what I heard him say and what I understood from Scripture was, I'm not going to say anything that's going to remove these people from this church that will take their prestigious uh, presence out of here. And I certainly don't want to lose their offerings. That's what I heard. I thought to myself, where in the world is somebody going to find an old-fashioned Holy Ghost preacher that'll preach the word without fear of compromise and not worry about what anybody is saying. All across the heartland today, our gray-headed men and women in different churches are crying after every service because they're weeping over the fact that it's just not like it used to be. And our young people are growing up having known nothing but apostasy, if we can even call it that. And they'll never miss what they've never had. Having never known the truth, they'll never miss the truth. What can we expect in the coming days? Legalization of polygamy. Pedophilia that is decriminalized. What can we expect? In the last days, prostitution that'll be legitimized, one drug after another that'll be used on the West Coast. You can expect masses of homeless people to gravitate toward areas where they'll be able to do these drugs. And as the economy tanks, And everybody goes in the red. They'll complain and cry because all the nations haven't conformed to what they're doing. Why does little old Nebraska get to be in the black every year on their budget? 
when other big states like us who have many more people have already gone to the sin issue. So we're going to watch in the last days and see as perilous times continue to multiply, folks. We're looking at a church where I'm not going to be shocked when preachers start going to jail. It's not going to surprise me when radio stations start saying we're no longer going to play these kind of messages out here across the heartland. It's not going to surprise me at all if preacher after preacher slowly but surely transform a very warm and affectionate church into a very cold and dark place. Yeah. But what will surprise me is if that church doesn't open up its mouth and say anything. I've never done this as an experiment. Somebody told me one time if you were to put a frog in a pot, put some water on and then slowly turn it on to a boil, it's a good, good chance that, that that frog will stay right in there and not even leap out, of the, leap out of the water and be boiled to death. I don't know, but I do know what Paul said over in Ephesians. He said, awake thou that sleepest, arise, and Christ will give you light. I believe thousands of people out here in the heartland have been put to sleep by sinful preachers. What are we going to do? about our kids and the next generation. All of you that are out there uh, today listening, I'm telling you, you're in my prayers often. I think about you during the week. I pray for you. I do. When I text you and, and check on you or call, it's because I'm thinking about you and you're on my heart. I know what you're facing. There's a spiritual battle daily. But folks, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that your word is true. We are firmly committed to stand steadfast on the sure foundation. Everything else will crumble and collapse. But the one thing we do know that when all is said and done, the word of God standeth sure. So, Father, it's our prayer that you continue to lead us and guide us. We take the time right now as a congregation to pray for our nation. Oh, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on our leadership, Father. Have mercy on mayors across this nation, on governors throughout this union. We pray for our state legislators, oh God, and our city council members. God, we need a moving of your spirit. We need the wind of God to blow across these lands. Father, we're praying for those that are on the school boards across Nebraska and Kansas and Iowa and other places. Heavenly Father, we're praying for our teachers every day. They've got to stand there amongst all of those children. We pray that a spirit of obedience would be amongst those kids. Let our teachers be protected in the classroom, God. And I pray you give them favor. Let the faculty and the administration stand by them when they take a stance for what is right. We pray, O oh God, for the leaders of our communities. Let them proclaim your word. Let them know your word, God. Every pastor around here that believes the truth of Scripture, I pray that you wouldn't close any door of witness on them, but let it remain open, God. And during this period, when it seems like there's darkening clouds coming over this nation where there could very well be persecution for your church, Father, let your light shine brighter. 
Use it as an opportunity to stretch forth your hand to do miracles, signs, and wonders. And I pray, God, that your church would multiply throughout the region. These things, almighty God, we do pray for right now. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus, everybody said amen, 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 amen. Folks, we